Denise Thomas is a legend in the CrossFit world. She's been a part of the CrossFit seminar team for nearly 10 years now, serving as a flow master on both the level one and level two seminars. You may recognize her name from DT Lesson Plans, where she regularly shows you how to create and use lesson plans in coaching CrossFit classes. Like all of the great coaches we've had on this podcast, from Austin Maliolo to James Hobart to Boz to Chuck Carswell, the list goes on, they all recommend planning ahead and keeping it simple. Denise will talk about both of those in today's episode where she sits down with Jason Fernandez. As always, if you love the show, please like, subscribe, share it everywhere you can. Tell your friends, tell your competitors at the box, your friends that you compete with all about this episode, all about our previous episodes, because we're putting it out there for you and for the CrossFit community. This episode is sponsored by Own Your Eating. Yes, that's my company. But until we get a bigger sponsor, that's who we're going to go with. Own Your Eating. That's my company where we help people learn all about proper, healthy nutrition. We teach you about macro tracking and about things you can easily implement in your life to make your journey better, to make it sustainable, and ultimately so you can look better naked. Check us out on ownyoureating.com and check out our certificate course where you can learn how to be a coach, how you can help others at your box, how you can help your family members lose weight, keep it off, and feel good about themselves. Check it out, ownyoureating.com. But here we go, my friend, Denise Thomas. And we're live. We're not live. This is recorded, everybody. Just kidding. Uh, Welcome back to the best hour of their day. I'm Jason Fernandez, the better of the two hosts of the show taller and better looking. And I'm here with the one and only, one of my bestest friends of all time, Miss Denise Thomas. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jay. I agree you're the better looking one. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. It's it's kind of a landslide there. All right, so you are Lord Farquhar, so it's... <laughs> I've been holding off bringing that up, but I'm glad you did, so... Uh, so if you guys, if you guys don't think he looks like Lord Farquaad, just look a little bit longer and you'll see it. You'll see the resemblance. Um, but let's get into a little bit about, um, about you. So you're with that accent, you're obviously from Philly. Oh yeah. Born and raised. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. From England originally, but moved here about 20 years ago. And then your background is soccer. You played a little professional, a little bit of professional soccer as well. Yeah, so that's why I came to the U.S. I got a scholarship to play college soccer. And I ended up staying and doing my master's degree. Um, What's your master's And then I got a job in uh, exercise science. More importantly, what's my bachelor's in? What is it? VCR programming? What is it? Sociology. The study of society. Yeah. So tell us what, you think. what do you think about society? Where, how are we, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing great. Yeah. We're, we're flawless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 don't look on social media, everybody. <laughs> You'll get a different picture. Yeah, no. Um, cool. And then you've been on seminar staff for almost 10 years or did you, have you pre passed 10 years? No, no, almost. I joined in October, 2010. So nine years this October. And then do you know roughly how many seminars you've done? Level one, level two? I think I'm right at 300. Okay. Yeah, I was talking to Chuck. I'm not at 300. Yeah, I think I'm right. Yeah. (laughs) I was talking to Chuck about two weeks ago, and he he should be at, I think by the time this goes down, he'll be over 500, which is just crazy. Yeah, they just announced that. He's got a lot of experience. He's just old. Just old. 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 (laughs) Um, so, but yeah, what I really want to get into today with you, because this is kind of your, kind of your jam is the lesson planning. So, um, obviously you have a lot of experience in the seminar settings, but you do kind of run a, a little thing on the side. I don't know. It's not a little thing. It's like, you have a, it's a pretty big deal. I think is uh, DT lesson plans because the, you've kind of found 
a little niche there with the lesson planning. You just, how did you like, how did that become your thing? I never asked you that before. Um, I don't really know how it became a thing. I just would always lesson plan before a class. And I think, I think honestly it came from building more knowledge and realizing that not everybody needs to know everything, but then trying to figure out a system to find the right information for that, the class that's in front of me or the experience level. And I think it also came down to timelines, just going over time or not filling the hour and seeing how I could capitalize or optimize each section. And I think, um, I think it just, someone would said to me once, Oh, that's really cool. You, um, you should show people that. So then I, I, you know, I didn't see that that would be that much value. I didn't think people would be out there and they'd be like, Oh, I'm really, this really helps. So I put up one of my lesson plans on the DT lesson plan Instagram account that I made and people really liked it. So I would just put daily lesson plans up, you know, just your timeline and a little bit of content. And people just kept saying they really liked it. So I just kept doing that. And over time, it's just, I guess it's just grown. And I think that at times it doesn't have value, but then someone will send me a message or an email and they'll be very thankful for it. So I just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We, one of the, one of the most listened to episodes we've had so far is the whiteboard brief. You know, we did like a, I think it was 45 minutes on the whiteboard brief and the number of people that have written into us and talked to us about the right, the whiteboard brief or the scaling is, is like, I mean, it's a ton of people. And what's interesting that you say that is sometimes I think we forget how long we've been doing it. So we take certain things for granted from a coaching standpoint. So you Mm -hmm. assume people know, and then they don't know, you know, some people, there's new coaches who are just seeing those lesson plans for the first time. And if you guys haven't, you guys don't follow Denise on Instagram, you should, and then go to DT lesson plans on Instagram as well. And you'll see, you know, she's got a full blown like timeline that she writes zero to 60 minutes. And we'll dive into some of that. But I I think the big takeaway, and you kind of alluded to it a minute ago was that the lesson plans are really, they're an evaluation tool. Like it's not for you to be, it's not the lesson plan that makes you good. It does allow you to be effective. But really what it is, it's a measuring stick. Every time you write a lesson plan and then you go out there and you measure yourself against the lesson plan, it allows you to do this kind of self-evaluation of where did I lose time? Where can I be better? What was effective? What was not effective? What What is my actual skill set? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that. And it's also, it's just a baseline. So you can definitely fail from paralysis by analysis and I've done that a lot of times sometimes my lesson plans look like someone threw up on them but you can take it and make it as simple or as complex as you want but essentially you never really gonna, you're probably never going to follow it to a T but what it does is it keeps you honest and like you were saying you can measure yourself against it so I always know like the way I design my lesson plans is I bookend it so it, you know you go what do you need in the beginning for your introduction which can be anywhere between two minutes and sometimes, honestly, five minutes. It depends on um, the complexity of the class, who's in the class, how chatty they are in the beginning. But just knowing you have that five minutes, it allows you to manage the community aspect as well as being like, okay, I need to get through what needs to happen. So if it's a shorter workout, less complexity, you can chat a little bit more. But every time, every minute you go over that five minutes, you're eating now into the next portion. So when you know what classes you're taking or you're coaching, sorry, whether it's your morning class or your midday, you, you kind of know the populations that go into those and how long you need and how long you don't need. So once I've done the intro, I'll go the, the other way, all the way to the back end. And um, it will be the cool down. And I think a lot of underutilized and sometimes completely missed are cool downs, which is really unacceptable when you you obligated to give somebody a full class with a proper cool down and an assessment period and scores and then just community so minimum 10 minutes minimum um and then you always have that 15 minutes so i'm always i always know when i need to start my class so if it's a 20 minute workout i know i'm going to need to start at the 30 minute mark if not before if there's if it's not a time priority and I know someone might spill over and after that I take off a break 
couple of minutes, it gives me what I have in the warm-up. So I know, okay, this is how long I have for the specific. These are the priorities from like complexity to safety to time needed to load in, all the way back down to the simpler movement in the workout, which will require less time, like a burpee, even a push-up. Not not important, but it does it only needs a little bit of time versus a squat snatch or a muscle up, let's say. And then you make your decision about your general warm-up. You just hey, do I really have time for a general warm-up today? Or is is this teaching time going to be filled with prioritizing what needs to happen in the workout? And we can go down a whole other rabbit hole of how you decide that dependent upon the class. But I think often if you don't have your timeline and your time stamps, um, you just, you're kind of just shooting in the dark and things lose purpose. So I don't know if you wanted to get into that right there, but that's essentially well, like the I evaluation do, I, or the baseline. No, I do have a question because I think you, you, you started to go into something there, which I think before we even start to get into each piece of the lesson plan is important. Um, one of the big mistakes I see that people make is they just work left to right on the timeline. And what it does, is it creates a false sense of security with regard to how much time they actually have in the hour. And I don't know if the listeners probably didn't catch on to that, but you basically take off of the time on the front and back end for the brief and the cool down. And then essentially what you said was like, you're, you're left with a 50 minute class roughly. And then from there, do you start to, from there, once you're like, okay, now that I have 50 minutes, how do you, what's your next step? So I've, I've taken off the pieces that I know I need on the front and back end. And then what do you do? I know how I do it, but I'm curious on how yeah. you do it. I do it. So I, like you said, I took off the intro and the cool down. And I also think it's important to note here that I'm not prioritizing those two uh, components over anything else. But if you take off your five minutes and 10 minutes, that's 45 minutes for your class. Take off five minutes for transitions. You really only get 40 minutes in any one 60-minute class. If you're, if you're doing it right, you can shave a couple of minutes here and there, but you get the point. So then I, I figure out the stimulus of the workout. And like if it's four time and it's rounds, I have to figure out how long it's going to take my the better athlete and how long it's going to take the newer or the slower athlete. And it's the slower athlete that I really have to consider because I don't want to limit their intensity and their experience by trying to get them to finish at the same time as the more advanced athlete because that's not realistic and it's probably going to be too easy. For example, if people are doing like a three-minute fram, you know, that's probably not the right stimulus for a brand new athlete. Um, I mean, you could argue you know, either way for that, but you get the point. So. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll give 10 minutes for Fran. That's going to be the, the top time. Doesn't mean I'm going to cap it because we could talk a little bit more about that and capping and planning for stimulus. Yeah. But I, I know roughly 10 minutes is on the longer end, three minutes or there and thereabouts on the, on the faster end. Um, so on that timeline that we just talked about, 10 minutes at the end, five minutes at the beginning, I need to start this class the latest at the 40-minute mark. Knowing that my fast athletes will finish in a couple of minutes, um, but also giving everyone else the opportunity to get a good workout in. That's what I do. If it's obviously, even if it's a time priority, it's a 10 minute unwrap, I'm not, if I know I need 10 minutes, I'm going to also allow a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah. So I, I can call that the break or, you know, whatever you want to call it. So in a 10 minute class, I'll, I'll try to plan for 12 minutes to incorporate a little bit of a break. And I'm also okay with stealing a little bit of time from the cool down. But by little bit of time, I mean one or two minutes. I don't mean five minutes because now, you know, you know what happens at the end of that. Yep. You, you want to lay down. You want to lay down. You just worked your butt off. And honestly, some of my most favorite moments in the gym are in, in the intro when I'm chatting and fooling around and making fun of people, which I do. I never do. No, never all the time and then at the end when I'm laying down and I crawl over to my friend and I'm like what do you, how do you do what do you get and I don't want people to feel that they have to rush around and throw their equipment away so but anyway I digress a couple of minutes max yeah I like to plan so that, for, that's kind of what I, happens yeah and that one I like to plan for I, I'm a big fan of just sending everybody on a walk 
So like not mm-hmm. having them do so. Mm-hmm. So I kind of plan it in there where like I have I allot 10 minutes. And one thing we've done recently with our coaching staff is I told everybody, I'm like, hey, you you need to plan in your lesson plan. You need to be done at 10 till the hour. So whatever you need to do, because we got a little lazy there on the lesson plans and we started bumping, mm-hmm. you know, because that happens. You start getting closer and closer to the hour. It's just something that needs to be retooled. But that it's not a full 10 minutes. You know, so it's it's probably closer mm-hmm. to seven minutes if you kind of let people walk outside and then come back in. And now I have seven minutes for people to strip down weights, clean up, and then, you know, that takes three minutes. So now I'm really down to four minutes of stretching at the end and, and kind of mm-hmm. shooting it. And I don't think people plan for all of that. And that's when those classes run uh, into the hour. But for the takeaway, let's talk about, let's just, I want to frame this up for everybody. So the order when, when you write your lesson plan is, uh, first thing I'm going to do is plan for start and finish. The second thing you're going to put in there is the workout itself. So the stimulus of the workout. And then the third thing you're going to do is start to develop your breaks and your warmups around that, because those other ones are kind of fixed. I can compress or expand my warmups depending on what I want to do once I know how Mm -hmm. much time I have from there. So from there, like, let's go pick whatever workout you want or however you want to do it. But what do you, what do your general warmups kind of look like? Well, that's a good question because they ch- they change. But generally, I've w- recently gone back to delivering general warm-ups the way they're supposed to be delivered to prime the system, take the body through full range of motion, get the heart rate high, like get the blood flow increasing. And, and I think for a while I lost sight of that. And then I would have a lot of fun and steal from the, particip- the participant, the client's learning experience. So right now I am, it really, again, it depends on the length of the workout and the complexity, but it could be something like three minutes of 20 seconds on the, on the bike or on the rower, um, partner goes two, three, two, three times through while your partner's going, you're stretching. It could be something like that. It could be jumping jacks, mountain climbers, squats, PVC work, um, I'm not, we don't, our gym, we don't do too much dynamic warm-ups, meaning line drills, unless I only have three minutes because there's not really time to do much else. So today we did, we did Cindy and um, we actually, at the end of Cindy today, we programmed um, a mile run just to get ready for Murph. So we needed a little bit of time for that. And Cindy's relatively simple movements. We do a lot of pull-ups, push-ups and squats. So really the only, the big piece was going through range of motion and pull-up scaling and, and push-up scaling. Um, so the point was is I did line drills because they were really sore from yesterday's workout and actually Friday's workout. And this we're doing this podcast on um, a Monday, on a, a Tuesday. So yeah, so they needed to, they just needed to move arm circles, high knees, butt kickers. But the fun, we, we, we interact. It's about connecting and increasing the energy, but also assessing, making sure that people are not grabbing something and giving a little squint and hoping you don't see them, but you look over. And so all the while you're assessing. So it could be something as simple as a line drill all the way to um, something a little longer, like a CrossFit warm-up, where we go through three rounds of, of like um, a squat, pole, push, hip flexion, front flexion kind of stretch or monostructural variation. And we could graduate that across the rounds where each round, depending on your capacity, you do something a little bit more complex until eventually instead of doing pull-ups and push-ups, you're doing a muscle-up if you have that. Um, And that would obviously be on a shorter workout, like a five-minute workout, because that can take 15, 20 minutes to do. So generally speaking, I do general, we do general warm-ups. it's, it's funny that game. you bring up the. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up the uh, the AMRAP because I recently started doing it. And we just call them like talking warm ups. I know why mm-hmm. I do them. Why do you do those little AMRAPs? The what um for the, the general warm up. Yeah. Because people like you, people just talk and they don't get through it. And I'm like, hey guys, what round are you on? And like, there's this one group of girls will be like round one, and I'll be like, what round are you on? And someone will be like three, and I'm like, you guys up you got to move you know so i'll be like all right we're going to do either three rounds or we're going to do seven minutes whichever comes first 
So, you know, take your time on your first round, but let's move with haste. But it's a time management tool. And the, and the, the 20 seconds on and the 30 seconds on or the minute on is just a way to keep people moving and, and manage manage the group and assessment or else they just get, they love each other. They talk all the time. So you've got to control the, the beast. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an important little, a little nugget there for people to, to stay on timeline because if you opt to go for line drills or you give somebody three rounds or whatever, like that is inevitably going to happen. Like somebody just takes their sweet ass time to do their line drill and everybody's waiting on them. However many line drills you're going to do. But if you do that AMRAP style, for, it gives them an opportunity to kind of interact a little bit, but everybody's done at the same time. You know that at three mm-hmm. or at seven minutes, we're moving on and I can stay on task. So I started playing around with that because I noticed that my line drills started to really creep to the right on the timeline. And I was like, God, I'm just burning time that I don't necessarily have here. So I kind of reverted back. And I think they're better, honestly, you know, because everybody's kind of moving at what pace is appropriate for them. Your job at that mm-hmm. point is to just kind of prod people a little bit and be like, all right, Enough to yeah. you're talking a little too much in the talking warm up. Like, start moving a little bit more here. Um, do yeah. You, do you have how frequently do you have multiple kind of um, lesson plans ready for the class? Do you always have that, or or is that for you? Kind of know for the class. Oh, sorry, I'm plugging my phone in. No, you're good. Um, can you repeat that question, Jay? I'm sorry. So do you, do you on, on a frequent basis have like an alternative lesson plan set up? Oh, like if the one I have is not, do I have a plan B? Are you asking? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a plan B. I, um, I just plan for the, I plan for the majority experience level of the class. So I guess like, I guess I do have a plan B. It's called scaling. It's kind of like, Hey, if you can't do this, you do this. Or, um, if for some reason I thought that I was going to have more of an advanced level class, but it turns out that it's more like an intermediate level. I will, um, just deviate to a simpler progression or plan and look at them and be like, okay, I wanted to do this 12 minute, really cool general warm up that I planned. Uh, but looking at the class right now, it seems like we're going to need a little bit more time on that push press and um, front squat. So I'm going to cut this warm up down in half and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on barbell technique and then give them enough time for loading. So I guess I just, I don't, I don't have two plans, but I have uh, an idea of what I would do if for some reason the experience level in the class changed on me. Yeah. I'll do that occasionally where I'll have, you know, if it's a, let's say it's an Olympic lifting movement or something like that, where I maybe had a plan where I was going to get onto the PVC pipe, but I walk into the the 5 PM class and everybody's been there for three years. I'll fast yeah. that plan and I'll be like, all right, guys, put the PVC pipes up. We're not doing those. I want to get on barbell. We're going to do a little bit more advanced complex uh, and get to it a little right. bit to try to add value to those people. Or I'll go the other direction where I had something super sexy in mind, but I show up and there's four people that have been there a week and then I'll and then I'll dial it back a little bit. I'm like, all right, guys, grab the PVC pipe. We're going to do it this way. And I don't necessarily have like a written out alternative plan, but I do have it in mind, like what I want to do if mm-hmm. the class is, you know, super experienced or we need to really kind of pump the brakes on that. So I was just curious how you do that. Yeah, I and and also if the class is a little more advanced, and by advanced I mean they move well at the right speed and they can do a lot if not all the workouts as prescribed or really close to um i'm a big believer that fitness starts at zero it's not just you get fit during the workout but there's an opportunity to move and this speaks also to like how do you fill the hour well you can do like an emom warm-up where on one minute, they're, they're biking or they're rowing for 150 calories, 200 calories. On the other minute, they're doing six burpee box jump overs, which is like a mini workout, but that can also be lowered down for someone that that would tire out. You know, you don't want it to be the warm up is, is a workout, but I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that a warm up is a warm up and we're going to do a lot of teaching in the specific portions. So they're going to be standing around and 
you know, listening for a while because it's it's partly like largely neurological, um, low intensity positions. But like the warm up, we've got to get them, we've got to get them going. And you can do a general warm up, like I just like I just stated. Another a favorite of mine is actually there's two. There's one minute bike, one minute row, one minute um, ski erg. If you have those implements, three rounds. You'll be warm yeah. after that. Yeah, it's, it's nine, nine minutes. minutes so yeah. depending. And another favorite I like because it takes your body through full range of motion is grab really light dumbbells. Not super light, but, you know, lights can give you a feedback. And it's um, a dumbbell squat clean thruster. You do 10 of those, and then you go over to the pull-up bar and you do five burpee pull-ups. And then you go eight, eight, six, six. And obviously, if you had people in your class that that would be complex for them because it's relatively complex movement. You're doing every position. Um, you could simplify that, you know, just like on the hang or whatever it might be. But you can assess a lot. You can assess hamstrings, knees, flexion of all the joints, um, pushing positions, pulling positions. So, you know, and they're breathing heavy. And that's the point is to get them ready. And then you can also do, a, you know, do a little tester on the other side where you give them a, a quick pump before the workout. They hate it. They never want to do it. I'll say do 10 reps, they'll do four. You know, And the reason I know that is because I do that too. <laughs> they're like, do eight reps. I'm like, I got you. I'm doing three. And I'm yeah, one. Out. I know a one is good. I'm, I'm all it's, set. Yeah, yeah. But um, every time I do it, I feel better in the workout because you know what it's like when you're doing a five-rounder and you actually feel ready in the third round. So... I think that we've lost, I don't know about the community, but I know I lost sight for a while about what it meant to do a real good purposeful general warm up. Yeah. I, I kind of strayed almost too far the other direction where the general warm up I don't think had enough intensity where it was, it was too, too slow. You know, there was not enough moving. So I'm, I'm trying to shift back the other direction and I was worried about, you know, are they, are, are we mobilized enough? Which I do think that stuff is important, mm. but if I, if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to, I'm going to opt with something that's a little bit faster paced to get people ready to go. Um, but I wanted yeah. to, cause you mentioned it. And I think I saw this on your Instagram feed the other day, when you get to the specific warm up, I see a lot of people skip what would be considered basic movements. And I, did you post something the other day about it's either teaching the push up or the burpee? Oh yeah. I did, I did a video on the burpee. Is that what about, it was? Um, yeah, it was because the burpee is a simple movement. It shouldn't, it certainly shouldn't be prioritized over something that has load or you're putting yourself in dangerous positions. But I mean, we do a lot of burpees. And if you do a lot of burpees over time, you people get like lower back stuff or, um, you know, they don't put their hands in the right spot. So it's a quick two, two minute teaching point. And um, you'd be surprised at how people, where people don't know how to put their feet on a burpee like you've got really tall people with tight hamstrings and they've got these tiny little narrow stances and then they put their hands really close to their feet and and that's just a full-on crouch position where they can't breathe and they're going through a necessary flexion of their knees and their hips so just standing back and assessing some different techniques for the burpee like try your feet a little bit wider try your hands um closer for some people i'm not strong in my chest so I want to, you know, get my hands a little tighter into my body or turning your hands out. And where does the hand go in relation to the shoulder? How far should the hands be in front of the feet? Can you jump out? Can you step out? Can you do a little stagger step? And it's if you teach it right, your the members will be engaged and it will help them. Versus just watching them. You've seen the person that shouldn't be jumping in and out the whole time and they're dying. It's like, hey, take a breath, just step out, jump in or jump out, step in, or step out, step in. I think the big takeaway, and I don't know if people picked up on it there, is that when you're walking me through the burpee, what is very obvious that you're not doing is assuming that people know. And I think that's a really big mistake that coaches will make is the assume that everybody knows, you know, the intricacies of the burpee, that should they bring their feet wide? Should they bring their feet narrow? You know, where should they put their hands? And I think in a really good specific warm-up, you can keep people engaged while educating them at the same time and not leaving anybody out. You can touch on all those little pieces and do it fairly efficiently and never assume 
that somebody knows how to do a burpee because inevitably there's always somebody that has no idea how to do a burpee. They're just like, mm-hmm. what's a burpee? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, what planet are you from? And I'm like, that's just, that's, that's bad on me. Like I should just never assume that. So mm-hmm. that's, it's, I think the takeaway there is never assume, like teach everything from the ground up. And then you, as you get better at it, like, and I've seen you do it, you're really efficient at it is you just speed that up or slow it down depending on who, on who's in the class. Yeah. And people, coaches will then often come back and say, well, what about your advanced people that know what they're doing? And that's one strategy. Like you said, it's like, all right, you guys get it. Let's move on. Um, but you also have to know that you're, you're advanced or you're more like, you know, go getters in the group. You better believe that they want all the strategy you're going to hand them. So if you use words like this is really going to help in the workout, or this is how you can get through X faster all of a sudden their ears prick up and that's how you can grab their attention. But you, it, you, you cannot, you cannot, if, if you're not going to really think about what you're doing and you're just talking to talk, you're going to lose them. And I would too be bored if someone started talking about the burpee and it had no value. Um, so yeah, it's, you said it there. It's like teach it ground up, have a system. I, I'm big on stance grip position. And depending on who's in the class and what I've seen, what common errors I've, I see across that class, we're like, okay, I, people really struggle in elbow position on the reset of the push press. They just cannot get their elbows up. Like, all right, let's do a drill today. It's going to help with that. Um, and maybe it's like, oh man, I always have these people in the class that they, I assume, you know, you assume they know what shoulder width means. They don't. And even those that do sometimes forget and, just a quick reminder, but the more you belabor it, you'll lose them. So yeah, you got to move through it quick. You got to be very aware of who's in front of you. Yeah. Jay and I talked about that recently in, um, in one of the previous episodes about like the difference between teaching and coaching and, and I forget which episode what is, but teaching is you talking, coaching is them doing and you seeing and correcting. And we want to err on the side of coaching, like, you know, 30% teaching, 70% coaching because people will learn by mm-hmm. doing. Um, so mm-hmm. So you, did you, you've taken the lesson planning course or did you write the lesson planning course? No, I didn't write it. Um, I've taken it though. I thought, I thought that was, I think that's one of the better online courses that they offer. Like I learned quite a bit from that course and I've been doing this for almost 11 years. Um, so if you guys mm-hmm. haven't taken it, uh, go take it. Um, but I wasn't sure if you did that, but I do know that you, how long have you guys been doing the? So for those of you who don't know, Denise works at CrossFit Reebok one up in Boston, in downtown Boston now. Um, and they have um, quite a few members there, but you all, you guys also run the the newest version of the coach development course. So you guys bring people in for either, was it three or and five days? Yeah, they can pick. Okay. So you, you're kind of up there with Chuck, in my opinion, as far as like seeing the number of people kind of like in a real-time coaching environment like you've seen a lot of that with the cdc because so there's there's now multiple sites but for a long time it was just you guys right it was you and austin um Mm -hmm. running that correct yeah we we started it at reebok crossfit one it was the coach the coach development program cdp and um we had it for two three years and then we pitched it to crossfit and crossfit took it um and it was still just Austin and I, and then CrossFit wanted to scale it out because people were tra- people traveled from all over the world to come to us. I mean, Poland, um, Lithuania, Germany, um, Argentina, Brazil, I mean, Japan, uh, not Japan, China, sorry. Um, they were coming from all over, so we wanted to scale it out to make it more accessible. So we opened up a course on the West Coast with Nadia Shatilia at CrossFit Belltown, who's in my opinion, one of the best coaches out there, certainly way qualified for doing something like this. Our gym is phenomenal and it's a really great platform for this program. And then conversely, Drake Flatke in Germany, in Nuremberg, he's running one, uh, same guy, same caliber. And we also tried it in Brazil. We tried it um, in Australia with Matt Swift. Uh, it was harder for them to run it with their gym logistics because it is a very demanding program on, on affiliates. Um, and then we also have one in New Jersey with Kariana um, Morristown, um, and she's been 
doing development for a long time. So we, we put it all over the map as much as we could. Um, and they do three-day courses. Austin and I at Reebok CrossFit One are able to do five-day courses because we can share the load back and forth because it is, it's a very demanding, very intimate, got to have some thick skin. You know, you're not coming to be, you know, patted on the back and told how great you are. It's actually quite the opposite, but it's very fair and it's very honest. And it's honestly, um, I think it's one of the most powerful courses outside the level two in terms of coaching development and feedback that I've ever been a part of. So it's, yeah, so, it's cool. Yeah. So in that, what, obviously the, I'm assuming there's gotta be some pretty common themes there with regard to lesson plans. So like, what are some of the big ticket items that coaches regularly make errors on when they're doing their lesson plan. Cause I've seen you guys do this. This is like full detail. You guys do an assessment on the lesson plan that they gave you, but like what are some very common errors that coaches make when they're writing and trying to execute a lesson plan? Well, what we've found, and we also found this in the level two is that trainers, they have a decent amount of knowledge. So if I was to sit down with any one of them and say, okay, give me the five points of performance of the squat. They could probably, you know, they could definitely give it to me. They might um and ah, but they'd be like, okay, we got the arch and we got the heels and the knees and they get there. And they could do that for a lot of the movements. What we found was that the plans were, when we would go through, like, those that didn't have plans, it was easy, it was write a plan. But most people now, versus, like through DT lesson plans, through um CrossFit.com, when we used to do lesson plans, people now are writing plans. So we don't see that being a common error as much, but it was in the beginning. So we're seeing that they're writing these plans, but they're having a hard time communicating or teaching, like taking their knowledge and actually make it come alive in a dynamic environment. Um, there's a lot of instruction. It's funny you say there's a difference between teaching and coaching. There's a difference between instructing and teaching. Instruction, in my opinion, is you just telling somebody, do this. Mm-hmm. Um, teaching is telling them how to do this. So it would be like me saying, okay, go ahead and squat. And they squat. And again, that word assumption comes back that they know how to squat. Whereas, all right, guys, I'm going to teach you how to squat correctly. Squeeze your belly. You know, going over the setup. Squeeze your belly. Good. Okay. Got to keep that the whole time. Ready? Squeeze your belly. And then you just layer it in. Okay, push the hips back and then sink your hips all the way down. And you're just telling them it's what we learn at the level two, body part direction, body part direction. And so we were seeing that they were either talking too much or not teaching enough. Talking so too much teaching, meaning... what were they doing? Just telling them do this and then watching. Got it. So it would be like, okay, reps. squat. Yeah. Okay, go. Um, and so it was one or the other ways. It was they weren't, when they did, they were either not saying anything, they were just saying do this, and then they would do it. Or they would give them everything to do. They would like, it would be like verbal diarrhea. It would be like, all right, you need to do blah, blah, blah. And, they, and then everyone, you know, those that could do it would just do it, but those that couldn't would be like, wait, what? Or... It was a case of they would just talk too much and not have the athletes move. So there's a bunch of different reasons. But that was one, really. It was a teaching. Like te- the reason why teaching was an issue is because teaching, as we know, sets you up for seeing. So if they weren't asking for things, they definitely weren't looking for things. Or if they were asking for everything, they were trying to look for everything. And in turn, there would be no correcting. So. On one side, it was teaching, but on the other side, it was the inability to see faults in the workout or at high speeds. So when you're, so so this, if I'm listening to this and I'm new, I'm starting to get a little anxiety because now I'm starting to understand that this is a whole nother plan within my lesson plan. So there's, I have my plan for managing athletes and looking at movement, and I have to somehow weave that into my overall lesson plan. Is have you found something an effective means of teaching that to people when they come in? So obviously it's like, hey, you have a lesson plan, but then how do I take my mm-hmm. my my plan for teaching and weave it into my 
my lesson plan because if you're writing this on paper, this turns into like it looks like you vomited everywhere on this piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, it actually segues nice into the specific portion of the warm up because during the general portion, it, there's relatively low commands. You're not calling reps. You're not, um, I guess, managing the group as much if you're having a, a relaxed general warm up. You can. But when you get into the specific portion, not only are you thinking about what to look for, but you also have to think about what the commands are to get the athlete to do it. So a command is you give a word and they do something. And in order for that to happen, you got to demo it. So we always recommend, and you know this, is demo without talking, just so they can watch what the end piece is. Um, and then say, okay, the first progression will be, let's just say it's a push press. We're going to do a dip and hold. And everybody can benefit from the dip and hold. It doesn't matter how much weight you're putting over your head. Um, and then you say how to do it, okay? So you say, when I say dip and hold, you're going to push the knees forward and the hips back and uh, drop down two inches. Ready, dip and hold, and stand. All right, nice. Dip and hold versus if you were to go out and say go for a dip and hold, it almost doesn't sound right because that's not the action they're going, but go to me is, you know, it assumes that they have to do something fast. I don't know. So there's, there's like that layer, level of, okay, commands. What am I going to say? Uh, how loud am I going to say it? How soft am I going to say it? How quick am I going to say it? How slow am I going to say it? Dip and hold. And then say, okay, next thing is going to be the dip drive slow or whatever progression you want. It doesn't have to be a level one progression. Okay, it looks like this, demo it. And then you would say, I'm going to say, go, go. And when I say go, you're going to go down, up, down, up. Versus, hey, when I say go, you're going to go down, up. <laughs> you know, you're not going to show them one thing, but then have a voice inflection of something that would assume speed. So it's on the lesson plan itself. I think the take home there for you is, when you're deciding what your progressions are, and if you struggle with all these other things, use the level one progressions or find one that you found success with before and ask yourself, when I want them to do this, what do I have to say? So that everybody does the same thing at the same time, which allows me to assess one athlete to the next, to the next, easier for me as a coach versus everyone just bobbing up and down. Yeah, it's interesting. I've that's something I really harp to the coaches in in our facility and and coaches at the level two as well. In the military, we would refer to it as like command and control, and meaning when I say something, something very specific happens immediately after that. And if if you're a coach and you're trying to assess yourself on this, it, it's pretty simple. When I say something, does everybody move in unison, or does or is everybody doing different mm -hmm. things? You know, so I've I've watched numerous coaches where they're calling some piece of aggression some piece of the progression and half of the group is doing the full movement. The other half is doing one part of the progression and maybe the other part is doing some other part of the progression. And that just means mm -hmm. that we didn't clearly articulate when I say this, you're going to do this. So if you're going to try to really break it down, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what you're going to do. Everybody understand. Okay, cool. And then we're going to move on. But it, it's amazing how efficient that can make you because that's where you lose a lot of time. If you're talking about, you know, getting a minute here and there, well, if I have to go, if I have to backtrack and, and correct everybody and walk them through the progression again and, and try to get them to do it correctly, that, those minutes stack up. And now my, whatever mm -hmm. it was, my seven to 10 minute specific warm up is now 14 to 15 minutes because I just wasn't clear about what I wanted to happen. Right. And, and when you go to the next progression, especially if it's not one that your members are familiar with, it's something new you're trying you have to be in a spot where they can see you demo it and you should do a few reps with them. Um, I mean, I, I've done it multiple times. I've tried new things and I've been walking around and I'm like, go. And one person's got the bar overhead and the other one's not pushed anything. And the other one's in a dip and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I messed this up. But it's like, all right, guys, let's go again. This is what I mean. And it was just like you said, that's an extra minute that adds on. So 
how you um how you decide if a progression's going to work and if it makes sense is by practicing. I can't tell you the amount of times I've tried something new and thought, okay, I better practice this first to see if it even makes sense. And I've gone out there and I've probably removed two steps that were unnecessary just from running myself through it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, well, thank God that didn't happen in front of the class. And if it does, it does. But practicing, I think we forget sometimes that we're, we're not supposed to have all the answers. We're going to mess up. So, and you might mess up even if you practice, but that's what we call accountability is, you know, you're not just a 60 minute coach. Even if you're a part-time coach, you're going to have to put in a little bit of time on, on the end of class or beginning of class just to, you know, it's like practicing a speech, like get your, get your, Oh, you know, say a couple of things in the mirror before you actually get out in front of people. So that helps. But the commands, like you said, that definitely will help you see and correct a lot more. And your members will get conditioned to do that as well. It makes it easier for everybody. Yeah. I think one of the other things that I, I don't do it so much anymore because just have it and we've kind of trained everybody in there. Do you, and you probably don't do it anymore, but for a while I, I would spend a, a, a fair amount of time planning logistics for my lesson plan. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean that we're going into a whole nother layer of lesson planning and a couple of things you got to think about is who's, what's the experience level of the class? How many people, not do you think will come, but that you, you don't think will come. So if you think 15 are going to come, plan for a class of 20. Um, what kind of equipment do you have? And you think you would know this stuff because it's your own gym, but I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been tripped up by just assuming that we'd be okay. Having a plan, having a plan B for the workout, like a team variation. Um and then also, if you do a team variation, they're usually a little bit longer. So you've got to then move around your timeline. So the experience level of the class, um, how many people in the class, what's the space like, the weather, um, barbell safety, clips on the bars, bumpers on the bars, plates away from the lifting area, boxes away from under the pull-up rig, um, burpee, burpee, burpee box jumps when you have to face the box. You get a big class, you got to go lateral. And it's just little things that if you think about them before, you can save time logistically. Yeah, for sure. I think that's huge, no matter how, did, how good of a coach you are. Yeah, I did that recently where I, I almost made a mistake. And, and it, was a, there was a, it was a workout and it had deadlifts and then uh, burpees over the bar. And it was in our North End location, which is a little bit smaller. And I think I had 15 people in the class. And for whatever reason, I got it in my head. I was like, I'm going to make this work. Like, we're going to do these burpees over the bar. Like, I just <laughs> got a hair up my ass. Ego. <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. We're going to do it. Yeah. And then, so as we're going through the specific warm-up and, and we're kind of moving through it, I, I finally kind of checked myself via the lesson plan because I was watching it unfold. And it was just, it was just a goat rope because, you know, again, and these are little things you think about when you're writing a lesson plan is the difference between doing a lateral burpee next to your bar and then doing a bar facing burpee over the bar is probably something to the tune of an additional eight feet of floor space that each athlete needs. Mm -hmm. And if you do that times 15, like that floor space starts to add up really quickly. And all of a sudden you're like, we don't have room for this. Like this now becomes an unsafe environment. So right there, I just switched it. And I was like, all right, guys, we're not going to go over the bar. Just do burpees in place. That way we don't have to worry about this. And they still get the stimulus of doing a burpee. They just didn't jump over the bar. So the workout didn't really change, although it's not how it mm -hmm. feels if you do a, bar, a, a burpee over the bar. It feels like you're jumping over a mountain. But, um, <laughs> so, but that's just something to consider is like if, if you start feeling like you're getting jammed up, like test it out and see what happens. Do you have, do you have a – What's your thought process when you, when the, like when the athletes just start to keep walking in the door, you know, that class when they're just like, Oh shit. Like how many people are coming yeah. to this class right now? At what point do you, do you have like a hard stop on the workout?
Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Take a moment, head over to the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or Google or whatever you use and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to Best Hour of Their Day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience? Do you have topics you want us to talk about? People you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.